the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic, one of which we're going to reference today from Shilkapadia on Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield. Whose fault was it? It's a lot smarter than that, don't worry. With comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis built around your favorite teams and leagues, The Athletic delivers everything you need and every sports story that matters. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams, and get an exclusive ad-free content every single day. Visit theathletic.com slash spottrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your first year today. We are also provided by Balance Bridge Funding, providing cost-friendly capital solutions to professional athletes since 2015. Balance Bridge has dedicated professionals who can customize a payment plan for you, borrow wisely, cost-effectively, and there's no fees when you pay it back early, and many people do. Whether your client is under contract or simply needs a bridge against guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking to invest, or looking to borrow money for any other reason at all, let Balance Bridge take a look, provide a solution, and be the resource for you today. Visit balancebridge.com. My name is Mike Janay. Happy Monday morning. Here's the plan. Four big segments. Going to run through them as quickly as possible. Number one, NFL upsets. Not just this week, but the past two weeks. I go back four weeks and give you some data on how that looks because it's been fascinating, and I'm not sure it's slowing down. A couple of reasons why, a couple of uh, betting news in there. Then I flip the switch over to Adele, as I kind of mentioned. Good piece from Shield Kapadia on the Brown situation, and I kind of extrapolate on that, right? Not to mention... Odell's salary set settlement, what happens with waivers, when is waivers, where should he end up, where could he end up, all that good stuff, Beckham's career going forward. That's next. Then I flip the switch to baseball because <laughs> in the middle of the night, Major League Baseball dropped gold gloves on us. So I break down the financials and some of the numbers on those players. And then we are in the, in the sweet spot of the offseason right now. Options are being declined. Options are being exercised. Qualifying offers have been offered. I break down those names. Who didn't get one? What does it mean to have a qualifying offer? What does it? How does it impact the offseason going forward for a lot of teams? And some nuggets included with that as well. So that's today's agenda. Hit me up at SpotTrack on Twitter with any questions, comments, thoughts, or more. All right, let's start today with the crazy week nine upsets. And it's been a bit of a trend. I ran through four straight weeks here of NFL scores and an initial odds or game time odds, according to FanDuel. And here's how it's gone over the past four weeks. Week six, we had four upsets. Jacksonville, Arizona, Vegas, and Tennessee. And remember Tennessee, because they're going to be prevalent in this conversation. Week seven, there are also four. Tennessee, the Giants, the Bengals, the Colts. Week eight, last week, eight upsets. Eight and four upset teams went. And this week, so far, seven and three so far. With the Bears and Steelers still to come. Upset alert there, I would imagine. So they've doubled over the past two weeks. And it's not fluky. I mean, it's not like they were pick them games and they just kind of fell the wrong way. Right? I mean... I mean, Jacksonville, obviously, this week, Tennessee, four straight weeks. They've been, an, they've been a dog, and they've upset their favorite team. That's, that's good business if you can get it. They're a real team. 
with or without Derrick Henry. Now, I don't know if they can get to the Super Bowl without Derrick Henry, but they certainly have staying power. And I don't think they're going to be upsets, you know, underdogs much anymore. That's what we're going to see there. There's no question about it. You know, the Giants, two out of these last four weeks, have, have been an upset team. There's a lot to be said here, for sure, about the middle of the season. We're getting to the dog days of the season, and we can start saying that with a 17-week season now, I think. There's a bit of a, a let, you know, a pullback with some of these, the play, I think the play calling more than anything. You know, the Buffalo game, the Dallas game, the Green Bay game, for obvious reasons. I do think there's a bit of a, there's some gamesmanship happening in the middle of the season right here where they'll sacrifice a week or two to recharge some players, to simplify some things where maybe there's, you know, there's some taxing mental capacities happening. And I, I get that. And also they just don't want to show all their cards all the time. They don't want to get a lot of things put on tape in the middle of the season because when it matters most week 12 plus, they want to have some things, you know, in their deep in their pockets to pull out. I, I do think that's what's happening with Kansas City, with Buffalo, with Dallas, maybe even with the Saints to some degree, even though that roster is depleted. I do think there's some gamesmanship happening. Now, Tennessee appears to be showing everything. They've got trick plays every week. You know, they're running out whatever they can throw out there. They're doing it. And I, I would say the same about Arizona. But there's wins. You know, they're winning right now when nobody else is. So you got to give those teams credit. I know. I think that's the right approach for the teams that I've mentioned here. You know, some teams are in survival mode right now. Some teams are maybe pulling their foot off the gas pedal just a tad. Uh, something we see with contenders in the NBA and Major League Baseball quite often. So I, I understand it. You know, Cleveland, gas pedal full down right now. We'll talk about them in a second. But after two weeks of four upsets, we now have a week of eight and a week of seven with a potential for eight. It's not a fluke. So I hope you're winning money off of this, by the way. I hope this is in your favor, but some of these games have to be hurting you. You know, I imagine the Bills and the Cowboys were in a hell of a lot of teasers and parlays this week. and That had to be a problem for you. So let's just talk about it from a, from a gambling perspective, right? Let's talk about which teams could win the Super Bowl, according to FanDuel. Top six. Buccaneers were off, Bills lost, Rams lost, Cardinals survived, Ravens survived, Dallas lost. That's your top six, according to FanDuel for the Super Bowl. Brutal, if you if you bet those teams this week. Let's talk about the MVPs. Top six. Josh Allen lost, Tom Brady off, Kyler Murray hurt, Matt Stafford lost, Dak Prescott lost, Aaron Rodgers in purgatory. You have to get to the third line, and it's an interesting third line on FanDuel for season MVP. Herbert's 10th, excuse me, 7th. Lamar's 8th. Ryan Tannehill's ninth. That's the sweet spot right now if you watch that Chargers game, certainly if you've watched Tennessee over the past month. And Lamar is doing Lamar things. He's he's rolling back into form and winning games. I don't think the Baltimore Ravens deserve to be winning on a lot of levels. Injuries, play calling, some some weird roster situations happening there. Certainly a running game that's been bounced around a bunch, but he's in the conversation. So it's, it's, it's probably a really good time to look at the third and fourth levels of MVP candidates, playoff contention. I mean, the, the Falcons are in right now. The Falcons were out. The, there were radio shows that had, that had ridden Atlanta off the whole season <laughs> in week two and three. They're in the playoffs right now. So 
Calm down, deep breath, bet some money, and bet some underdogs because it's a real thing right now. And it's, that's, I mean, that's double. Two straight weeks of double the average for 2021. Hope that doesn't continue because I think it's not great for the game to see so many superstars laying on their backside so much, but it's fun in the middle of the middle of the year like this. It's fun to see it happen every now and then. All right, let's put the switch. Stay with football. Move on to a little bit more of the uh, the money side of it, I guess. There's some money. There's some roster. There's some development. There's some free agency prowess. Let's talk Odell. Shil Kapati had a great piece. Kind of the piece I was looking to write. Didn't feel like writing. I'm glad he did it. He broke down an analytical numbers look at the Browns and Odell and the Browns and Baker and then the marriage of those two and now the divorce of those two. So, you know, not so much whose fault was it, but how did we get to here? Why are we here right now? It's certainly not because Odell Beckham and his father combined to put a video on Twitter. That's not it. Okay. Maybe it just wasn't a good fit. You know, you can read the thousand word article here from Shiel and, and it's well done. You know, Baker's been asked to go downfield more. It's not so much give me the ball and let me let me create. I do think that's what he'll be finding in his next team. I think that's exactly the formula that's right for him. He's not a run, run a deep route, break free, get open, and uh, and then create after that. That's not his, especially at 29, that's not his MO anymore. Nor is it Baker's MO to, to connect on those passes regularly. Baker struggles with the underneath stuff, and he struggles with the regular deep, deep stuff. You know, he's a, he's a slightly above average quarterback, according to all the metrics. And one of Shield's stats that, that I thought was excellent is basically there aren't many quarterback wide receiver combos out there over the past couple of years. You know, the three years that Beckham has been in Cleveland where the quarterback has outright missed the wide receiver as much as Baker has missed Odell. So it's not it's not that Odell's just whining to whine here. There's there's real analytical data, you know, videotape data that shows that Baker hasn't been accurate with him specifically. Now that could be a two-way street. Of course, you know, is big, is Odell running the wrong routes? Is he not settling into zones? There's a lot to that. I'm not going to go down that route. That's not what I do, but it's not a good fit. It wasn't a good fit. It didn't gel into a good fit. I don't think Beckham is the right kind of fit for what, who the Browns are, which is a run first team where they want to have home run hits every now and then, right? I think Peoples Jones shows us, Landry has shown us at times he can be that, even Higgins at times. That, I think that's why the tight ends struggle so much right now in that Cleveland system. I think they're such a run first team that it's a block first system for, for the tight ends. And when they're, when it gets time for them to catch balls, there are so many mouths to feed. A, I think Baker may be overwhelmed with that. And I think he's shown that. And, and B, He's not an, an accurate enough quarterback to be dink and dunk with success. Fast-paced, dink and dunk, six-yard outs, let's move the ball. There's, a, there's kind of a, a competition between who Baker is, what the roster is, and the, and the system that Stefanski and the offensive coordinators want to run. And I think that's what's holding back Cleveland from being a top, top team in that AFC versus they get stuck somewhere in that fourth, fifth, sixth hole the past couple of years and can't really break through. I do think there's a disconnect. And, and I think Odell has identified that, by the way. I, I don't think he's just a complainer 
I don't think the, you know, he's he's got a bad MO from back in the, his days in the Giants, and he made some mistakes. There's no question about it. I, I don't see any of that being brought to Cleveland at all. Uh, he's had injuries. He's he's had availability problems. But I don't think that his off-the-field stuff has been any sort of distraction. And I don't consider this to be part of that as, at all either. I do think he, he understands, and I, I cannot stand the way he went about this, but I, I do think he understands that there is an offensive disconnect with this team, and especially with him. So, and, and now I think the Browns see it too, and that's why we got to the settlement we got to, which I'll get to here. You know, Baker could have just said, trade me anywhere. Get me out of here. That's not what he's asking for, and that's why he didn't get traded, and some are complaining about the fact that he's, he's air quotes, still going to be traded here after the trade deadline, right? It's kind of like the waivers <laughs> acquisitions in baseball that, that existed until last year. You know, there were still trades after the trade deadline, but they were kind of like waiver claims with an agreement to send draft, whatever it was. That's gone. But it's kind of here for for this. So he's going to be waived today, Monday, officially, 4 p.m. Eastern. He has not been yet. He has not hit the official wires. I've looked last, last Friday. It didn't happen. So we kind of jumped the gun on how much was left on the contract and all that because this didn't play out and it won't play out until today, which means official waiver today, 4 p.m., he will hit the waiver wire officially Tuesday, and by 4 p.m. Tuesday, my guess is he goes unclaimed and will then become a street-free agent, 4 p.m. tomorrow, Tuesday. It's $7.25 million left on that contract to join a new team. Buyer beware. Not because I think he's a bad player. You know, not because I think there's a specific role for him. I do. And I do believe that. And I kind of alluded to it. I think it's got to be the short underneath stuff for him. Get the ball in his hands, let him create. And I, by the way, I think there's not enough of that in the game. I think that's why the bills have lost recently. I think that's why the chiefs have been a shell of themselves. Uh, to some degree, I think Tampa Bay has suffered with that. And certainly the Rams as well. There's this moniker that everybody has to be a home run hitter. Every drive. No, that's exactly what defenses have learned to take away. That's why safeties are making more money. That's why there's an $18 million safety, a $20 million cornerback. It's not about taking away the middle of the field anymore. You want to run? Good. We're going to put four decently paid defensive linemen up there or, or three at times and say, give us your best. We'll give you three yards. Because I know you won't do that three times and get your first down. And now that's progressed to, we know you won't take the four, four yard out or the six yard curl. There's a thing, it's a, it's a Madden video game type disease, right? Mahomes can't not throw the ball 30 yards every eight passes. Josh Allen, has, he's got the ips, right? He's, he's got to get it downfield. He wants to, to show off that strong arm. It's, you know, Brett Favre had this. A, a lot of these superstars in the league right now rely mentally on getting the ball down the field as fast as possible. That old school possession game that Brady's run, that Peyton ran, that Denver ran against Dallas yesterday. It's really hard to do. And it's really hard to do consistently because it's boring as hell. <laughs> okay. It's boring for the fans. It's boring from a fantasy perspective. It's boring to play. It's boring to coach. Okay. But, but it's working. And I do think that's exactly the system that Odell belongs in right now. Get him the ball four yards out. Let him get his yak yards. Something that went completely out the window as a member of the Browns. So all of that said, let's get back to the money. It's $7.25 million to claim him. I don't believe he'll be claimed. When he isn't claimed tomorrow at 4 p.m., the settlement, 
and we knew it was coming. The Browns have, or, or Odell has just chopped off $3 million. He's going to throw $3 million away, and it was guaranteed to him. He's taken $3 million off the back, so Cleveland will be stuck with $4.25 million cash and cap. That's the dead cap that remains in addition to what he's already been paid. So his $14.5 million salary now becomes eleven and a half. So that's the, you know, plus the $1 million roster bonus paid, plus the workout bonus paid. That's the dead cap for Odell Beckham with Cleveland. He becomes a street free agent. He can sign for as much as he wants. Um, you know, the minimum contract for him, 1.075 divided by 18 times nine. That's what we're dealing with right now. Okay. That's his minimum salary going forward. So it's 538,000 ish. I think there'll be four teams in. So I think he'll get more than the minimum, even though from a cap perspective, many of the teams that are in really can't afford much more than that. But I do think, I think Deshaun Jackson probably just got himself about 2 million. I think that's about like two, two and a half. That's probably, he's going to make back almost all the 3 million he just gave up in my opinion. And that could be base, you know, veteran base minimum with incentives built in. Uh, Maybe a signing bonus, a small signing bonus, so that they can prorate it with some void years to, to reduce the cap hit this year. But I do think there'll be four teams in. You know, I don't know if the Raiders are still in now that they've signed Deshaun Jackson. They should be because they're in the middle and they could push forward with another player like him. I think the Patriots should absolutely be in. Similar situation. Now they've got contention window, you know, eyes. They lack in this position. I think they could immediately move on from Nikhil Harry and put Deshaun and put. Odell Beckham Jr. in that slot with a couple of young kind of gunner kids. And certainly the Saints. And this is the team, and I know this is the team that's been reported. And it's funny, right? Because they're not a real contender. And that's what he said he wants. They don't have a quarterback, right? It's it's Trevor Simeon and Taysom Hill. So that's not a that's not an upgrade from Baker on a global level. But they do have Sean Payton. And, and to me, the reason the Saints have won games and they continue to win games they shouldn't be winning right now, it's because of good defense, but it's also because of offensive scheming. It's because Sean Payton, he was blessed and stuck with Drew Brees over the past three years. A, a, a compromised Hall of Fame quarterback who simply couldn't throw the ball anymore. D- do you remember the last time this happened? And we were like, oh my God, this is so hard to watch. It was Eli Manning with Odell Beckham Jr., Okay, the Giants simply couldn't go 40-yard 40 40-yard 40 post routes. Eli couldn't make those throws. He couldn't do it. He could make dink and dunk possession throws and move the ball. And we kind of put it at, oh, it's just padding the stats. Odell's stats were were padded. They were they were, you know, expanded as a giant because of the offense that they were being forced to run. They didn't win a lot of games, you know, one playoff game in his entire career. So we look at him and think he's a he's just a dumpster fire. He's just kind of a fantasy guy. I don't believe that with him. And by the way, when I started to sit down for this segment and I made my notes, I did think that about him. And doing the diligence and the research has me completely 180 on this. I do believe he was in the wrong system in Cleveland. I do think he was in the right system with the Giants, but the Giants were going nowhere. You know, they weren't going to be able to win. And I don't think it was the system that was the problem. It was just a lot of factors. They had to turn over a defense. They had to flip over Eli. You know, they drafted Saquon, which, you know, God bless him. But I th- actually think that's the right system for a lot of teams and certainly for where Odell should go next. And I think the Saints 
have been running that, are continuing to run that, certainly not with, a, with limited quarterback play. And it's just a matter of, you know, can Trevor Simeon do enough? Can he be accurate enough, game manager enough to make this work for eight weeks? That's all we need, right? Because that's the other part of the settlement. They lopped off the, the back two years of his contract so that no matter what, whether he is he passes through waivers or he's claimed he's going to be a free agent in 2022. That's a big move for Cleveland. So in other words, we do that for you. You take off $3 million. That's the settlement. It's really good. It's a really nice move. It's not going to matter because he's going to clear through waivers. They're going to lop off $3 million. He's probably going to make close to that in his next contract. I do think it's the Saints. And it's certainly not because there's a Hall of Fame quarterback waiting for him there. I actually would respect him a lot more if he picked the Saints with that quarterback situation because I have a feeling he and his agent are thinking just like this. We just got to get you into a system that can get you the ball and let you pop. That's what Alvin Kamara does there. That's why Deontay Harris is so good there. I think there are very clear paths to where coaching can impact a player directly. And that to me is one of them. I do think, I think McVay and Stafford, that's an immediate connection. I think we're seeing that immediately with Belichick, McDaniels, and Mac Jones. There's just a there's just a let's let's get beers and talk. And by the time they're done having beers, they have it all figured out. They know exactly what page they have to be on, and they are immediately. We're seeing that in New England. I, I get the sense that that's exactly the relationship that ha- that Beckham walks into in New in New Orleans. There's not a lot of mouths to feed there right now. They've got a lot of injuries, a lot of situations. They had a, you know they had cap casualties with their big off season. The defense is good enough to win ball games. And I do think a player like this who can just kind of add into their current, you know, their current structure makes a lot of sense. I'm going to put the Chiefs in the same conversation, but I don't think the Chiefs should do this. <laughs> I think the Chiefs already have the roster they need. Now, Hardman could be upgraded. There's no question. Pringle could be upgraded. There's no question. But financially speaking, I don't know if they should go this route. I think they have enough there. They're just not running the right offense. They are it is Patrick Mahomes continually saying, I got, I got to push, I got to push, I got to push when he doesn't have to push. If they just, for the next eight weeks, take what they're given, they'll win ball games. enough ball games to matter. I do think the Saints are already doing the right thing. They just simply are limited in what they have from a roster perspective. To me, it's the perfect marriage. And I give Beckham a lot of credit now for the settlement situation. I hated how we, how we got here, but now that we're here, it looks really good from both sides. And I think the Browns can continue to be good with their run first, home run hitting kind of style, strong defense. And I think the Saints can improve. A, a, a good Saints team has a chance to become a very good Saints team with a player like this in a system like that. And oh, by the way, there's the LSU connection. So nobody should claim him on waivers because he will not report. <laughs> Okay, that part of him probably still has not gone away. He's not going to report to the Detroit Lions or the Houston Texans or the New York Jets. Leave it alone. Let him get through waivers. That's what the settlement is all about. Let him take $3 million off his, his guaranteed salary from Cleveland. Let him go make that back on a new team. And let's, uh, let's get back to watching him catch, catch balls and run the hell out of people because I think that's the style of play he needs. Okay. It's enough football. Let's flip, flip, switch over to baseball. Got some awards to hand out here. In true Major League Baseball fashion, the gold gloves were announced at 11 p.m. Eastern on a Sunday. 
I was in bed because the Rams game sucked. <laughs> so I wake up to find the list of gold gloves like the rest of us. I guess that was their point. Okay? They're not going to make a primetime show about it. They're just going to post it on a blog on majorleaguebaseball.com and let us all wake up to it. That's their approach now. It's awful. I've said it a million times. Everybody else is making TV shows out of schedules and Major League Baseball finally has some relevant content that people might even care about. You know, qualifying offers, option decisions, and they just bury it in the middle of the night. It's just the worst. It's the worst. But here we are. I've got the numbers in front of me. Okay. So we've got 18 players who, who won gold gloves. Five of them are St. Louis Cardinals. That doesn't surprise me one bit. I bet the Cardinals will win the World Series about July 2nd-ish because I loved this specifically. I thought defensively they had it. And if the bats woke up and they got a little bit of pitching at the trade deadline, they could make the push. When they didn't get, make the acquisition to, to bolster up this, the rotation at the deadline, I knew it was toast. And I knew that they knew it was toast. But defensively, they won a lot of ball games because of infield play, solid outfield play, and some timely hitting. They were a strong team. I just, they just didn't have the pitching horsepower. But five out of 18 are Cardinals. Two of the players were traded this summer. Adam Duvall, Joey Gallo, who finds himself here in a very precarious situation for sure. Three of the players are pending free agents. That would be Marcus Simeon, Blue Jays infielder, Carlos Correa, Astros shortstop, and Duvall. Oh, excuse me. He is not actually a free agent. He will be, he has reverted to arbitration four because he declined his mutual option. So only two. Two free agents about to hit the open market. Six of these players, six of the 18, one third, are in top 10 pay within their respective position. Two of them are at the top. Paul Goldschmidt, first base. Nolan Arenado, third base. That's rare, by the way, for these gold glove lists. That's rare for a lot of things. But uh, certainly worth their, uh, worth their price tag. So six of them top 10. That includes Yuli Gurriel, Marcus Simeon, Brandon Crawford, Carlos Correa, Arenado, and Goldschmidt. And then there's a lot of value, especially when you get to the outfielders. Okay, here's your six outfielders. If you're not a big baseball fan, I'm not sure you know more than two of these players. Maybe zero. Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Adam Duvall, Andrew Benintendi, Michael A. Taylor, Joey Gallo. There's your six outfielders. Okay, the average position salary rank for those six outfielders is 65. 65th highest average paid outfielder in baseball is the average gold glove. In other words, teams aren't exactly paying for defense anymore. You know, if you're a complete, complete player, you'll get your money. But if you're just an okay hitter and a really great defender, Jackie Bradley Jr., it's going to take you a while to find a team and you're going to have to settle for something much less than you probably anticipated. That, that wasn't always the case. You know, and I'll put Jason Hayward at the top of this list, the, the, old, the, the Cubs free agent massive contract. He was paid in large part because of his ability to shut down right field. And, you know, as the game changed and it turned into home runs and less about batting average and blah, 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 the, the value with that just got so low that now nobody does it. You know, you, you'll, you'll bring those players in. They're still going to find work, but they're going to be near minimum contracts, even as 10-year vets. So that's a big change. You know, we're going to see that continue here with gold glove outfielding versus 
not uh, not prime time paid you know price tags for these players. That's just how it's going to be. And I'd put catchers in this list too. You know the the catchers who are making bank hit home runs. If you're a great defensive catcher, even if you work well with one of the best catchers, you know pitchers in all of baseball, even if that's your mantra, if you're if you're you know your ability to throw out players you steal, that's in the tank because nobody steals base anymore, nobody bunts anymore. So the as the game has changed, we've devalued so much of the defensive side of these positions that literally there's no value to them. And that's what we're seeing here. The pitchers, I find, I always find this fascinating. Max Fried, big uh, World Series co- contributor for the Braves at $3.5 million. And Dallas Keuchel, the $18 million pitcher for the White Sox. That's your two gold glove pitchers. It, it's interesting there because we have regularly seen some of the best, highest paid pitchers win gold gloves forever, since the 90s, since the Braves back in the day. It's a little bit less of a thing, but you know I'm a big NLEs guy with being a Mets follower. I'll tell you right now, it, it matters way more than people think. When there's a, for instance, Marcus Stroman, who's been with the Mets the past couple of years, that's almost his defensive abilities almost dominate his starts. You know, and and the announcers are great to point it out and and talk about it and. It's hard not to see. He's agile, he's quick, and he's accurate. But there's three or four plays every start that a pitcher has to make. There's only 27 outs. I think this is an undervalued stance, an undervalued appreciative stat. You should be looking for for defensive-minded pitchers. Now, obviously, pitchers who can throw strikes and have four pitches. This has to be part of the resume, in my opinion, because they are, you know, I know this is a terrible reference, but play kickball. How many times does the ball go back to the pitcher in kickball? A lot. Anybody who's coached T-ball, God bless you. I've done it three times now. How many times does the a non-pitcher get the ball in T-ball? Twice in the entire game? Okay. As you grow up, obviously that diminishes and your, your middle infield and your, your center, center fielder and things like that become of more importance. But it's not like those plays don't happen. You know, it's not, it's not so much bunting anymore. It's just the way it's going, especially as breaking balls are becoming more prevalent. You know, got people that are sawed off, people that are trying to beat the shift. I I think this is an undersold situation and I like seeing prominent names here. I'm glad there's a Max Fried here right now because it means he really was a complete player in 2021. I hope there's more of that. And I hope that, you know, the teams that you follow are looking for something like this, because I can tell you right now, Marcus Stroman made his day. He made his year as a defensive minded pitcher. You know, he was a nut. He, he had a great outings, a couple of high strikeout outings, but he'll be remembered as a Mets pitcher because of that specifically, because he was agile and made a lot of outs that a lot of pitchers don't make for their teams respectively. All right. Last thing, major league baseball, they're going through their kind of pre off season situations which means option decisions have pretty much come through. Qualifying offers have been offered. And there are about 14 of them, I believe. A couple of surprises, not many though. So my Mets, Noah Syndergaard and Michael Conforto. Syndergaard's a little bit of a surprise because he just hasn't played. He had surgery a year and a half ago. He got back for one start. He was pretty bad. And uh, <laughs> good luck on that one. I, I, I think there's a chance he takes it. 
and sticks with the Mets for one more year and then does this again next year. A small chance, but a chance, because I do think his agent and uh, just how much pitching has been prevalent in the free agent market, I think there's a chance he goes and somebody takes a $100 million dart throw on him, but who knows? Giants are going to be active this offseason. They started with Brandon Belt and a qualifying offer. I think they may upgrade him. I like him a lot, but it's a there's a halfway decent first baseman market out there right now via trade and or free agency. Uh, I do think they may upgrade him. It's been a long, good career for him there, though. Dodgers, Corey Seager, yes. Chris Taylor, yes. Eight, on the 18.4 million dollar qualifying offer. Clayton Kershaw, no. Not really a surprise with Kershaw's injury history and age and all that, but it does mean he's going to hit the open market, which is weird. <laughs> it's, it's just really weird. Uh, it's a bit like Brady doing that. We'll see what happens. If uh, he's willing to take a massive discount to stick there, or if he's looking for a little bit more dough somewhere else, I have a feeling he stays, but I don't have a great feeling about it. Justin Verlander did get, did get an offer from Houston, and he didn't play a single day. For, for the Astros this year. Surgery a year and a half ago, took the whole year off to recover. He's up there in age. And, uh, you know, I don't know where Houston is financially speaking. Are they going to keep Correa? Can they keep a Verlander? Probably not. He just feels like he's going to get, you know, join the party out there in the National League West, if I had to guess. You know, Dodgers, Giants, Padres, one of those teams that is just they're battling each other so much. I don't know, I don't know if they can stop spending. They just have to keep pushing because they're they're all invested. It's like being so far into a poker hand, you know, at this point, either just go all in or don't. You're just going to bleed the money one way or another. So, I, I think he's probably long for one of those teams. I'd put Max Scherzer in that conversation too. Uh other ones, other offers. Marcus Simeon, the Blue Jays, that was a no-brainer. He was making 18 million last year on a one-year deal. The offer is 18.4. He's going to go look for a multi-year guarantee. No question about it. I've got him at five for 90 somewhere. Probably not with Toronto, but but he is. He's got bigger dollar signs in his eyes for sure. Freddie Freeman, of course, got one with Atlanta. Um, it's weird, though, that he's about to hit the open market. I have a, I have a feeling something gets announced this week between Atlanta and, and Freeman, although maybe not. You know, maybe maybe the deal is going to be we're going to let you go out there and, and get your offers and we'll take a look at the offers. And if we can come close, we'll try. And if not, and if that's the route you want to go, sayonara. I'm looking at you, Giants, for that one. If, if Freddie Freeman becomes available on the open market, I am looking at the Giants big time as an upgrade from Brandon Belt on that one. Robbie Ray got one with Toronto. That's a no-brainer. He's going to be the top pitcher on the open market in terms of health and age and all that stuff. Nick Castellanos opted out in Cincinnati, but then did, did get the offer. So there'll be a little bit of draft compensation. I don't know why he would leave Cincinnati. That's an up and coming team, halfway decent. And, and he's one of the bigger pieces on that team. He's just looking for a, a, you know, a new structured contract probably after the CBA hits. Former red Roger Iglesias is, was the closer in Los Angeles. He was not good for that angels team. I thought his numbers and his overall production, I, I watched him a half a dozen times this past season. I didn't think he was excellent, but his qualifying offer of 18.4 million is more than any closer has ever received for any salary, right? Liam Hendricks got 18 million with the Chicago White Sox this past year. So I think he might sign it. <laughs> I think he might sign it and, and put that angels team back on their heels yet again, financially speaking, 
that one fascinates me. I understand why they did it because, you know, him not signing it means I'm going to get 50 million guaranteed on a multi-year contract. That's what they're banking on. And then they'll get their draft compensation back to do so. But if he signs it, that's tough for Los Angeles in a situation where they really have to do more work. It's a, it's a new young GM who I, I think has a chance to really turn that corner, but this is a risky move in that regard. Slightly risky, I'd put it at. Let's talk about what these qualifying offer means. I probably should have opened with this for those of you who don't understand it. It's, a, it's essentially a franchise tag, but it's not based on position. Everybody gets the same one. This year, it's down a little bit to 18.4 million. It was 18.9, I think, last year. Um, so down a little bit. This is the most offers that Major League Baseball has seen, the 14 players. So it's being utilized. Um, and here's what it means. If that qualifying offer is declined, and many most will be, you know, there, there may be one or two here that are accepted, signed. And once that happens, it's a one-year, $18.4 million fully guaranteed contract. Kevin Gosman played on one this past year in San Francisco. Um, so there's a chance a couple of these guys do that. But when not, they will hit the open market. They'll decline it, hit the open market as a free agent. And then based on what they sign for, there's draft compensation coming back. So then it turns into like a, a compensatory draft pick system in the NFL. So $50 million in guaranteed money is that threshold. So if you're banking on one of these players to get more than 50 million guaranteed, and most of them, if not all of them will, you know, Trevor Story, yes. I, I think Simeon's a yes. I think Chris Taylor's a yes. That one's tight for me. I'm not sure on Verlander there. Depends on what he does, you know, multi-year. Castellanos is a yes. Correa's a definite. Freeman's should be a definite. Robbie Ray and Iglesias are mostly yeses. You know, Eduardo Rodriguez with Boston, I don't know if he can get 50 million. That one's tight. Seegers, definitely. So most will be over 50 million. So that means there'll be a competitive balance round B draft pick coming back to the losing team, which is basically like a second round pick. If it's less than 50 million, okay, that's what you get. Less than 50 million is a second round pick. More than 50 million is, a, is, an, is an immediately after the first round draft pick brought back to the team. So the majority of the players' teams, respectively, you know, the Mets, the Reds, the Giants, the Blue Jays, they'll be getting a, fir, a, a later first round pick. So a 33rd, 34th, 35th round pick, you know, number pick for losing these players. Okay? Now there's a bunch of other factors. There's also a threshold. So there's a time during next year after which there is no longer draft pick, draft pick compensation for signing these players. So if, if any of these players, right, if, if, if Eduardo Rodriguez, the former Red Sox pitcher, isn't signed until June, this is going to be why. It's because players would like this player or teams would like this player but they don't want to have to lose a second, a, a late first, a late second round pick to sign him and give it back to Boston. Once you get past a certain, certain, you know, threshold of the season. And the reason I'm not giving you a date is because I have no idea when this season is going to start, unfortunately, um, in terms of the CBA and all that. But after you get past that date on the calendar, the compensation is lifted and you can, you can simply just sign a player as a, as a street free agent. 
So that, that caveat does exist. And there have been times when qualifying offers have hampered players from being signed at all. It does happen. And I don't know that, the, you know, Rodriguez might be the best chance for that here, possibly Brandon Belt, possibly. But for the most part, you know, superstars decline it, hit the market, and they're signed regularly early within free agency. I expect that for Story and Seeger and Correa and, and whatnot. Um, but it is a bit of a convoluted process. It's a good process. You know, you don't want, especially your, your, your smaller market teams to just lose these monsters, to free agency and get nothing in return. Now, you know, we're not seeing small market players here. Why is that? Because for the most part, those teams have figured out, no, no, we got to trade these guys in our two. Okay. We can't be, we can't even be getting these guys close to free agency as a small market team, you know, the Indians, the pirates, the, the rays, they get rid of the Orioles. They get rid of their players a year and a half with a year and a half of team control left because a, the return is much greater. Obviously, you know, a draft pick is a draft pick, but they're, they're looking for, for seasoned prospects at that point for these kind of players. And B just doesn't get that way. You know, these guys just don't hang out anymore. Players are starting to push their way out. The, the whole evolution of that is changing. And that's part of what the CBA is going to be about. You know, how long is this team control going to last? You know, if the small markets can only have these guys for four years, do we keep that and, and allow them to do that? Do we change the qualifying offer structure so that the small market players have a better teams have a better chance to keep some of these players or more reason to keep and pay some of these players? There's going to be some of that. But as of now, you know, the big boys are taking on these players, running them through for six years, slapping a qualifying offer on them and letting them walk. That's what we're seeing here with 14 players. Why isn't Max Scherzer here? Why isn't, because he, trading a player negates his ability to, to, to handle, to be offered a qualifying offer. These have to be, you know, signed players on a team or draft players that were drafted with a team. They can't be acquired mid-season and then get a qualifying offer. Um, why isn't Kevin Gosman on this list? Once you get the qualifying offer, you're done. Can't get it again. So it's not like the franchise tag where it's just a higher percentage of pay. It's one and done. So a couple of players who I thought might get it, John Gray with Colorado, I have no idea. They were trying to hammer out an extension. They must think there's going to be an extension. That's all I can I, I can ascertain. Because they have no qualifying offer on him. They will be getting nothing if and when he walks on December 2nd. Nothing. <laughs> okay. He's one of the, he's one of the notable pitchers on the free agent list. So I have no idea why they wouldn't at least go this route as as just a backup plan. I mentioned Kershaw. I understand that one. Stephen Matz was interesting, but I think Toronto was weary of giving three out. Also, I'm pretty sure Stephen Matz would have signed it. And Toronto needs to do a little bit of creative process accounting to fit in some new blood, maybe some ma major massive free agents, and maybe retain some of their own, right? They've got uh, Teoscar Hernandez. They've got Vlad Guerrero, uh, maybe Bichette. A couple of those players that I think they want to lock in early right now, if possible. And they're going to try to do that. Not to mention Robbie Ray, their big pitcher is on the open market right now. So Matt's was a maybe for me, but I, th I do think the, the notion was I'd sign it. So I, we're not going to give it to you. 
I, I would imagine the same goes for Avisel Garcia with Milwaukee, who had a nice season with the in the outfield there. I do think the sense was he's going to sign it, and that's not good for Milwaukee's business. That they're going to try to get him back on multi-year with a little bit less AAV because it is about the luxury tax right now. So unfortunately, and that's it. Pretty simple stuff. Any questions on this stuff? I'm at Spotrek on Twitter. Uh, we got through a lot today, so I'm, I uh, I will try to put some of this into article form, especially the uh, the gold gloves and the, the financials that break down there, and some of this qualifying offer slash option exercise decline news that's come through with Major League Baseball over the past couple of days. Keep it up with the rat race. It's a good offseason time for Major League Baseball. Okay, my thanks to The Athletic. Check out theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. And of course, Balanced Bridge funding. Visit balancedbridge.com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.